Well, we're in the middle of a series, a high-level series as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. I mean high-level in the sense that we're just kind of, we're looking at it. I'm hoping that you're reading it over and over and over and over. It's such an important passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. That it really where Jesus is trying to teach those who will follow him. So he pulls his disciples aside and he says, look, if you're going to follow me, it's going to be different. You're called to be different. You're called to live differently with other people. And so we talked a lot about that last week. At a high level, what does it mean to live differently with other people? It means we're proactively doing things for others that we wish they would do it for us. So even if we have an enemy, we say, well, what, what do we wish that our enemy would do for us? Instead of attack us, they would forgive us. They would reconcile with us. They would release us. They would bless us. Whatever those things are. So we looked at that last week. And that really is real, a lot to do with chapter 5. And when we move into chapter 6, it's not perfectly like this, but in chapter 6, there's a a distinct shift here that happens where Jesus starts to talk about what does our relationship look like with God? What is it going to look like to be different for his disciples? Those that follow him, how are they to behave and act in relationship with God that's different than what they've seen demonstrated before them? What's different from the teachers of the law? What was different from the Pharisees? What is it going to look like for them? And so he begins to, to talk about some things that really would, would shake things up immensely uh, for those who would follow him. In fact, some of the things he's saying are, to our ear, don't sound very radical, but they're very radical. And it's a lot of those things that actually got him in trouble. And eventually, uh, the Jewish leaders wanted to crucify him because of the things that he was actually saying in the Sermon on the Mount as well. And so I want to read to you, like I did last week, a fairly large chunk of chapter 6 to you. Um, last week, I ran into a little bit of a problem because I literally could barely see. <laughs> and um, it's embarrassing. I've hit a milestone where it's like I have these on backup, but I'm too, I don't know, I'm not, I don't want to go there yet. So I'm going to try again and I'll pray a little harder. And, and I think age is nevertheless going to be there for me. So, oh, maybe I should pull them out. I don't know. This is, my parents are watching, recognizing how old that makes them. Chapter 6. I'm going to skip a few verses, not because I don't like them. We're going to come and we'll deal with a lot of them next week. But I want to focus on um, the majority of it, though. Chapter 6, verse 1. Watch out, New Living Translation says. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others. For you will lose the reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give, someone, give to someone in need, don't do it as hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and on the streets to call attention to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received all the reward they will ever get. But when you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private in your, to your Father who sees everything. And he will reward you. When you pray, well, don't be like hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go by yourself, shut the door behind you, and pray to your Father in private. Then your Father, who sees everything, will reward you. And when you pray, well, don't babble on and on as people of other religions do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them. For your Father knows exactly what you need 
even before you ask him. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today the food we need and forgive us our sins. Hey, standing in the light really helps. Sorry. Maybe that was my problem. <laughs> yeah. As we forgiven those who sin against us, and don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. And when you fast, well, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try to look miserable and disheveled, and people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth, that's the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, well, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. I'm going to skip a few verses, mostly out of time. Verse 25, chapter 6. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food or drink or clothes to wear, isn't, it, isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, look how they grow. They don't work, they don't make clothing. Yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about all these things, saying what we're going to eat and what are we going to drink and what are we going to wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love the New Living Translation on that one. I'm used to more of the NIV for sure. One of my uh, joys a couple years ago, it wasn't the last trip, I got to read the whole Sermon on the Mount just into a crowd sitting on the, the side of the Mount of Olives. Um, and then we went over to the Sea of Galilee, and then we got to stand there and, and, and basically just teach exactly what Jesus would have taught, standing there looking over the Sea of Galilee and stuff like that. And, and it's so interesting to be in that area and to think about how, how impactful Jesus was being in the words that he spoke. And there's so many um, things in here that for sure need our time and energy, where we need to go through it. I need you to do that on your own. I need you to go through that. And what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for me? Today, I want, I want us to see some themes, though, that are coming out as we read chapter 6. There's, there's some large things. And this is one of the things that we see as a big theme is that there seems to be desire that we have that God understands. And it's a desire to be what? To be seen and to be known, to be validated, to be appreciated. And so we see this tension and he's saying, I know you have this desire, but if you're going to follow me and live in my kingdom, if you're going to be in relationship with me, it's going to be different for you. 
you need to let go of the need for other people, the others, to meet this need for you. He's suggesting that our Heavenly Father is actually the one that's going to meet these deep needs. And so he uses this over and over in the theme. And we see this and many times throughout just this passage alone. He says, in front of others to be seen, in front of others to be seen, to be honored by others. You know, showing others what we're doing. And, and for sure, I was thinking, you know, there is this passage of scripture where Jesus talks about this later in Matthew 25. And 21, verse 21, he says, look, there is coming a day when we're going to stand before our Heavenly Father, and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. And when I read that several years ago, I think the Spirit told me, Sean, you are designed to have a desire to hear those words. You have a desire. We all have that desire to hear those words. Good job. Way to go. Well done. I mean, I've seen it in my kids, right? You've, if you've had grandkids, you've had kids, you've seen this when they're at this little age, and, and they're just doing, it doesn't even matter what it is, but the fact that you're there, they're like, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at what I can do, look at what I can do. And if you give them applause and praise in that moment, it's like they look around and go, what else can I do? What else can I, I'll go find something else I can do. What about this? What about this? And we've had uh, children over to our home with families and stuff recently, and you see the kids start then competing with each other. Yeah, but look what I can do. But look at me. Look at me. And actually, we don't, <laughs> we don't outgrow that. There's an itch there that I think is designed, designed in us to need that affirmation. The problem is outside of a relationship of, with God, with outside of the kingdom, the world still has this desire, and so they, they're looking all the time to be seen, to be noticed, and of course we see it on social media, we talk about it too much, but needing the affirmation to just say things that people will affirm. But in our relationship with God, if we're going to be different, he says, I need you to give up that need of others. And I want you to put the kingdom of God first. I want you to put me first. And you'll see that he's trying to meet that need in this Matthew chapter 6. He says, your father sees everything. He says it three different times. Your father knowing, right? I see you, I see you, I see you, I know I know you. I know your needs. I am aware of you. And this is impactful. This is very important for us. We have to understand what this looks like for us and how can we apply it. We looked at last week the motives, again, of helping people. Our heart, you know, our heart matters. It's not just that we don't murder people. It's that we deal with our anger towards people. God looks at the heart, and our heart towards loving other people starts there, is looking at our heart. But Jesus is saying, now in your relationship with God, also look at your heart. Don't look at the outside. Don't look at the actions. Look at the motives. That's harder. Look at the motives. Look at what's going on. It's not so much. And then the kingdom of God is this, and we do this in the church. He would say, it's not so much whether you give, it's why are you giving. 
It's not whether you sing. It's why do you sing. It's not whether you play an instrument. It's why are you playing. It's not that you teach or lead a small group. It's why do you do those things. It's not enough just to greet at the door, but why are you doing it? Why are you helping the needy at Christmas? The motive behind it is so important to Jesus in the kingdom. He says, look, if you're just doing it to feel good, then that's all the reward you ever experience. But if you can figure out that you could do these things for his sake, the reward lasts for eternity. God sees, God knows. It's repeated over and over and over again. Multiple times throughout this passage. And then I want to focus then, so it's, he sees and knows, but this is really what Jesus is doing that is really significant, and we can't miss it because it really is the, the main thing. And that is every time he says one of these sentences, he's redefining their relationship with God. Just like in chapter 5 when he repeated over and over again, you have heard it said, and he was redefining their relationship with the law, to be not about your performance, but about your heart. Here, he's redefining the relationship with God. It's not just about your, what you do that matters. It's not your religious activity that matters. It's about your relationship with God that matters. And so throughout all these sentences, you're going to see him saying, your father, over and over again. Ten times just in this chapter. Jesus introduces us to God at a whole new level of being our heavenly father 60 times in his teaching. The key reason he came was to introduce us to our heavenly father. Believing that those who would follow him and have an intimate relationship with our heavenly father, it would determine everything about our existence, our identity, our significance, our purpose, our mission, and receive the affirmation that we all desperately need. Our need to be known, to belong, to be significant, is available in the kingdom of God by an authentic relationship with our Heavenly Father. It will never be found in re religious activity. Religious activity Going to church. All like, good things. These aren't bad things. Going to church, reading your Bible, praying, giving, serving. All these things. Singing. Those are great things. But if it's not attached to an authentic relationship, Jesus says it's just, it just doesn't matter. It's, it's useless. It's hypocritical. It has to be attached to your heart. And so his, his desire is for us to understand him in a new way. So God is, it's interesting, I was thinking back in, in the book of Genesis when, of course, Moses was supposed to represent God to his people. He said, I'm choosing his people, I'm choosing you to lead his people. And Moses was like, and then you've got to explain to me who you are. I don't even know who you are. I am. God is. That's what he said. I am who I am. That's who I am. Go tell him. It's like, okay. And so that was like, him beginning to reveal himself. In other words, I am, I've existed before, I will exist all time. I am the one you come from. I am the source of everything. I am. God is. And so 
Israelites were forming around understanding and understanding more about the character of God. And he revealed little pieces of himself all the time throughout the scriptures. A little bit more and more about who he is. And what Jesus is doing here is he's coming in, he's establishing a new covenant relationship. And he wants this new covenant relationship to have a, I guess, a deeper understanding of the heart of who God is. And how you relate to him. And it's all around this idea that God is actually your father. In the world today, there is a father hunger. I looked it up. It's a new, it's a new I guess, a phrase that is, that is being spoken about, about generations now. That they have inside them, either there's a father absence, a father deficit, and they're describing this as a father hunger. And it's causing all kinds of major issues in our culture. There's, a, there's a issues around self-concepts um, of who they actually are and their identity. The rootedness of our identity issues. We talked about our identity issues in our culture. But even non-believing psychologists say identity issues are often tied back to this father hunger. That they don't have someone speaking into their identity is creating physical health issues. It's creating mental health disorders. And it's creating a cycle of relationship breakdown with other people. I was reading this this week. This is not a believer. This is a, a psychologist within British Columbia Health basically saying, look, if we're honest, every time we're encountering people with major issues, there seems to be a common theme coming up. There's a disconnect with fatherhood in their life. And it causes all kinds of issues. And so sometimes when we talk about, which we need to talk about well today, is God being our Heavenly Father. We go to, oh no. A lot of people say, I don't know if, we, I, don't know if I can pray about that. I don't know if I can talk to God that way. Because, you know, I have a father issues. I didn't have one. I didn't have a good one. I had a bad one. But I want, you to, I want you to reframe that. I want you to not shy away from understanding God as your father. I want you to press into it. I want that identity to actually become a stronger foundation for you than any father could have given you anyways. You still deep down know even if you had a horrible father or no father, know what a good father should be. That's how you identify the absence and the pain and the ache because you know what a father should be like. And so Jesus is helping us understand what our father is like. And he, as you go through this passage, I started picking out what is he trying to say about our heavenly father at a high level in the midst of all these things. He's saying things like this. Your, your father is a good father. There's a goodness about him. God is good. He is a trustworthy father. He's a promise keeper. He keeps his word. He'll do what he said. He's faithful father. He's not going to leave. He's dependable. He's an aware father. This is a hard one. I mean, a lot of kids grow up or teenagers grow up and they're just like, my dad is, maybe he's here, but he's just unaware. He's doesn't understand. He doesn't get me. He doesn't know how I... That's... Our Heavenly Father is aware. He does know. 
He does see and he does care. He's not distracted. He's not too busy. He listens intently to you. In fact, if you look at the Psalm verse, Psalm 116 verse 2, the psalmist says, I pray because I know that God bends down to listen. Like, like a father and a child, when the child is really little and they're, they're talking really quiet, and the father has to get down on the knees and come close, the psalmist says that's what God does when his children pray. He's present. He's close. He's available by prayer. A strong relationship is based on trust, and trust is built through good communication. But if there's no communication, there can be no trust. I was reading that this week. Communication, we all know it's about relationships or with your kids or with your coworkers or your boss or your teenagers or your neighbors. How do you build a trusting relationship? You build a trusting relationship when you have good communication. And if we're supposed to trust our Father in all these hard things that Jesus just said, right? I mean, these are, these are easy things. Don't worry. Like, that's not easy. Don't be concerned about your finances. Is what it's not, That's not easy. Don't worry about the end of your life. Well, that's, that's not easy. How do we form that kind of trust? Well, through communication. And so the communication that we need to have, Jesus says, in the midst of this, here, I need to teach you, I need to teach you how to pray. You need to know what to pray about. You need to know how to pray. And so he begins in teaching us how to pray by saying, you start with, first of all, our Father. Our Father who is in heaven. Now, I do have a little pet peeve here, and I, some of you won't like it, and that's fine, and I'll say it, and then I'll apologize if you didn't like it, and I won't. But, I mean, I... He said, I'm going to teach you how to pray, and then he gives us, like, I believe, the key frameworks of what your prayer life should look like. And then we go, oh, thank you for the framework, and we do exactly what he said not to do. We just repeat it over and over. We'll just say the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's, this is my pet peeve. I'll say, it's, it's titled that. He didn't call, it's not the Lord's Prayer. There is a Lord's Prayer. I think you should read it a lot. You got to look in the book of John when he prays for those who would follow him, for his future disciples. He prays for you personally, all kinds of things. He prays for us as a church that will have unity, that will know him, will be connected to him and connected to the Father and all these things. He prays for us. It's literally his prayer for his, the followers who would come after these disciples. It's you. This is how to pray. And so I can't go through it because that's a whole other sermon or two or three, and we'll get there. But I want to just highlight this beginning because this is important. He says, look, how to pray. How do you engage God when you go to communicate with him? You have to approach him as a father, which means you're a child. And there's a lot of implications for that. But that's how you go to your prayer life. If you're going to pray for something, recognize he's father, I'm child. And I think that posture changes a lot of our requests. He said, right in this other passage, that all these things, if he knows, I think a lot of our prayers, and I analyze my own, and you can analyze yours later because it would be a good, good homework, is this. Like, so 
do I spend most of my time trying to inform God about the situation? Because he says, I already know. So, like, get to the point. <laughs> like, let's talk. Right? Let me talk. I want to hear you. I want to hear your heart. I want to share my heart. I already know. I know what you're going through. I know your day. You don't have to convince me. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to beg me. I know. I was there. I see it. I have no, you know you. I know who you are. I know what's going on. And it gives a sense of just be present as a child of father who is with you to debrief, <laughs> to talk through your day, to try to hear his heart for you. And so our father is a, is a great, great start on that. You need to try it. Some people ask me, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's like, well, how do we, how do we pray? And I, I'm, I don't think you should be judgmental on others or yourself. But I often have learned through this is saying, I pray Heavenly Father because he, that's what he taught us to do. I don't often say, dear God. I don't. I, and I'm not saying that's a horrible thing. What I'm saying is that 80% of the entire world or probably more actually can pray the same prayer. Every religion of the world believes God. And so that's probably almost 90% of the world could actually pray like that. But you know the only people that can say our Father? Followers of Jesus. Because we have an opportunity to engage God as Dad. That is... That's, that's so foreign that every other religion in the world gets actually very uncomfortable, just like the Pharisees did. Well, you guys think you're on a real close, intimate relationship with God. I do. I even know a lot of Christian believers today who still are desperately trying to find what is the real name to pray? How do we pray? What is God's true name? And they look through scriptures and they're digging and there's all cool, cool stuff in there. How do we say it? Even the Jews don't want to say his name. And even if they write it, they leave out an O if they're writing it in English. Or they, they, they don't mention or say the name God because they don't want to get it wrong. And Jesus comes along and says, hey, it's different for you guys. You guys, because of me, in my kingdom, he's your dad. That's how you're going to pray. That is so foreign in any other religious movement. To the point of they would accuse us of being disrespectful. But if he really is your dad, well, that changes everything. So if, you know, the, I was going to say the president of the states, but let's talk about someone respectable. Um, I'm trying to say, like, you know, some, you know, that say the, the queen passed away, maybe king or something like that, and you, and you go up, you know, and everybody has to figure out. I don't know if you've ever done that. I've been at places where the mayor shows up, and it's a weird title, like your holiness. Is, I've never understood that. I know a lot of mayors. I, I wouldn't put that in front of their name. But anyways, but you, you kind of have to figure out, how do I address this person? But with us before God, Jesus is like, it's, it's, you wouldn't do that if it's your dad. You don't go home if your dad is the president, your dad is king. You don't go home and say, oh, your holiness. You go, dad. Because that's what it's like for those in the kingdom. That's, that's who you are. It's different. You're not on the outside anymore. You're on the inside. You're at home. You're safe. You're secure. Let's look at some of those things before I preach it anyways. So praying to your heavenly father distinguishes you as someone who trusts in Jesus Christ and sacrificed for you on the cross and believes in the kingdom of heaven. You truly believe that you are a citizen of this kingdom. 
And you demonstrate that by faith in the way you pray. And so I, I think I, would cha- I just want to challenge you. If you're praying God, then I would challenge you. Do you feel like you're an insider? Or do you feel like you're begging and pleading for a deity to pay attention to you? So I want you to, I want you to reflect on that. Because to confidently pray, Dad, or my Father, demonstrates a whole different understanding of truly who you are in your identity. How do we know this? Well, Paul got this really well. And we read about Romans 8 earlier, a couple months ago. He says, you've not received a spirit, the spirit that comes in you, that makes you fearful slaves. So the spirit that comes in you when you trust in Jesus Christ does not make you afraid of God. Instead, you receive God's spirit when he adopted you as his children, his own children. So now, because we're inside the family, we say, Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm this affirmation that we are God's children. We're heirs with Christ. We're in the kingdom of God. Our Father in heaven means we acknowledge still that he has authority. It's not disrespect. It's not that. That as a Father in heaven, that ties in there. In other words, heaven doesn't mean distance. Okay? He says you don't pray in heaven like, hello, I know you're really far away. And heaven establishes authority and kingdomness. Like, he's above everything else. He's over everything. He has complete authority. And therefore, to call dad, dad, still means we're going to be obedient to dad. <laughs> we don't disrespect dad. We're a child. And so we read, you know, our father will discipline us. Our father will correct us. Our father will help us live right and righteously Live correctly in his eyes. He's still dad. Dad implies authority. He's in heaven. He's over everything. It also acknowledges his protection, though, that we're secure. You know, my kids, like, they make mistakes. You know, they always did. They always will. That never, ever jeopardizes my relationship with them. I mean, we could be frustrated. They're frustrated with me. But it doesn't change the nature of our relationship. We're secure in this relationship. You are adopted in a family. You don't come in and out. You're in. And so there's a security to this. And, and he goes on in Romans 8. We just read that. And later on, what does he say? He says, so if this is true, if this is who you are, if you're really God's child, and you're really in the kingdom, and his spirit is trying to tell you you're his child, if this is true, Paul says, well, then I'm convinced Nothing can separate you from his love because you're in the family. And he says, does death separate you? Life separate you? Angels, demons, fears of today or tomorrow, worries, all this stuff, heights, depths, all those wonderful things. He says, it doesn't matter. All of those things can happen to you that cannot change the security of who you are and your identity. You're his child. He's your dad. It's just the way it is. It also acknowledges, I said, over and over again, our identity and our belonging, that we're accepted for sure, that we have access. I, uh, I, I, told, I think I told you this, but I want to remind you. It was amazing. This one time when I was a kid, and I, I, I was at school, and I can't remember. It was an after-school program, and I was supposed to catch a ride with someone, and no one showed up. And this is 
way downtown in, in, in Regina, and uh, my house was like really far. Like it was a 20-minute bus ride. It wasn't, wasn't close. And I thought, I, I don't know what to do. I don't have a ride. I missed the buses and everything else. So I, I called my dad. And uh, the secretary answered, and she said, you know what? Your dad's in a meeting right now. He's really busy. He can't take a call. I was like, okay. And hung up. I was like, waited like five minutes. Like, I, I can't, I don't know, I can't walk. It's taking me hours. So I waited a little bit, and I called again. And No, I'm sorry. I told you he's busy. He can't take your call right now. You know, you talk to him when you get home. Bye, click. And I was like, oh. So I walked. I started walking and walking. Thankfully, his office was actually halfway. So about an hour and a half walk. And I finally get to the office. My dad's like, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, I, I had to walk. Why didn't you call me? It's like, I did. She didn't let me get through. That was a very bad next day for the secretary. It's like, don't you ever. My, my kid's smart. He knows when to call me. He knows when he, I need his attention, and he needs mine. If he says, no, I need to talk to my dad, it's important, then you put him through. He has access. I don't care if I'm in a meeting. I don't care if I'm counseling. I don't care if I'm praying. He has access. This is what it's like when you belong, when he's your dad. You have access is what it means. You're welcome to bring everything before him. It means also, as we are part of this kingdom and he's our father, it means we have some rights, but we have some responsibilities. You're, you're in there, which means you have the rights. I mean, there's all kinds of things. We are heirs. We have the authority. We have power. Jesus says, in my name, because of who I am and because of your relationship with me, like, you have all kinds of rights in this kingdom. You speak and things happen. But we have a sense of responsibility that comes with that too. We'll talk a little bit about that next week. That you're in the family now. And there's families about something. We're doing something. We're on a mission. There's things to do. You've joined in. But there's stuff to happen now. So there's rights and there's responsibility. For some of you, I think you go through and maybe one of the top ones. And I know when you're going through a tough time, a hard time, a scary time, time of sickness... This idea of security means that God is not going to let go of you no matter what happens. You're safe. You're safe in his presence. You're going to be okay. I, a few years ago, I went to buy a, a motorbike, and I like sport bikes. And maybe you saw that. But I, I was getting my first fast sport bike. And uh, I left. I left Dawson Creek way up north, and I went all the way to Calgary because things were cheaper down there. And I went there with like a one-way ticket, and like I'm driving home on something. And so I remember going around and, and looking, and I found this nice sport bike. And they're like, "Well, you can't take it for a test drive. Like we don't let people just jump on a sport bike and go." And I was like, "Well, how do? I, well, that's not fair. I mean, I can't I look at it. It's shiny. I don't know." And he goes, "Well, what we do is." You can ride on the back with somebody. It's like, oh. He goes, you got two choices. We've got two people on staff. One, he's an ex-racer. Um, like, he, he's raced, you know, these sport bikes on, on, a, on a circuit. You can choose him. The other guy is a sport bike trick guy. Like, he does tricks. He's really good at everything. Catwalks and endos and all kinds of things. Those are your two choices. And I'm like, those aren't, those aren't awesome choices. Like, I... 
I don't know what this is going to look like. And so I, I picked the, the racer because I thought at least probably all the wheels will stay in one spot, maybe in the line. And so I said, okay, I'll go with them. And I got on the back. And this is a mistake. If you ever think of doing something as dumb as this, this guy thought his job, because I'm buying a, a fast sport bike, was to show me it's a fast sport bike. I've never been so terrified in all my life hanging on to the back of this guy. And forget guy, guy thing, you know, he's sitting on the back of a bike, you try not to get close with guys, you keep your helmet. Uh uh, I was like a clip on doll on a pencil, one of those things that you click on. I thought I was gonna die. He was on side streets, not the highway, and he's trying to show me, you know, how we can go through the gears, which means we're hitting 120, 150, and 50 kilometer an hour zones. And I remember, all I remember is looking over his shoulder, and there was a dump truck. And he's just doing like a hundred and who knows what coming up behind it. And then there was a car coming the other way. And I thought, we're dead. And he thinks, I know how to handle this. No problem. It doesn't want to slow down. He literally hits the back brake, slides on one of those metal, you know, dealies in the middle of the road. And jumps into the parking lot, goes around the dump truck and jumps out the other side. And I'm just tapping, 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 tapping until he finds it. What? And I'm like, I'm good. I like it. I'll take it. Take me back. Not secure, not safe, didn't feel like he had my best interest in mind, felt like he wanted a lot of praise and applauding, you know, good, way to go, you're amazing. And I was like, this is not a safe person to be with on the back of a bike. That same bike, I take it home, my wife, a little bit horrified when I get back, but she knew I was going to sport bike. I take my son, two, you're back there, was he two and a half, three? Yeah, crazy, dumb, don't recommend this either. But first kid, you try all kinds of things. You don't know any better. We found him a, a helmet that kind of fit on his head if we put a toque and a hood over it. So we got it on there, then it was snug. His face was all mushed in. We're like, it's good, he's, he's tight, tie it on. And thought, he's, he's got to ride in front of me. He's got to ride in front of me. He can't ride behind me because I don't know what's going to happen if he rides behind me. So he rode in front of me, squished him between the thing. And he was just the happiest kid like five minutes in riding on the sport bike and all of a sudden, clunk, his head hits the tank. I thought, oh no, I pull over and I whiff his head and clunk, clunk. I'm looking, he's got sunglasses on and everything too. And it's like, he's out. He's sleeping on a sport bike for the first time. I'm thinking he's terrified. Maybe he passed out. No, like I come him home. I couldn't believe it. He kind of woke up because I pulled over. I'm like, wake up, like you're scaring me. Put him back on, I get home pull in the driveway, and his head's just on the tank. And it was a new bike, so I was also a little bit, I hate to say it, I was a little bit like, ah, oh, he's wrecking my tank. Like, so I pull in, I honk the horn, so Denise comes out, and come get Austin, he's, dro he's drooling down the side of my bike. I'm like, can you take him? And he's like, she's like, he's sleeping. I'm like, I know, it's insane. The difference was his relationship with me as a father was different than my relationship with a stranger who just needed affirmation. I couldn't relax. I couldn't trust him. I couldn't just chill out, nod off. And so we had to, I had to learn to never put my son on the back because I never knew if he was just going to fall over and go to sleep. But that's the difference. You can go through two similar circumstances in life. And you're surrounded by people who just want an affirmation and everything else, and they need you to affirm them and tell them. And it's a terrifying life. 
when people need you to constantly affirm and say everything's good and everything's great and you're awesome, or if you have a heavenly father in your relationship that you rest in and you can rest in the same turbulence, in the same situation, in the same uncertainties, but know that you are in a relationship with one who's in control. And Jesus said, look, if you're going to go through this life as one of my followers, then you're going to go through it understanding to the depths of who you belong to. It's your Father. So he teaches us to pray your kingdom come, of course, and I'm going to go into that next week, so I'm going to skip through that. But what does this look like as we learn to pray differently? It means, yes, we know he sees, he knows, he cares, So knowing God as our Father is going to increase, I think, a few things for you. It probably will increase your confidence in prayer. I mean, the book of Hebrews literally says that you can enter into the heavens, into the throne room where he sits. He he pictures them on this throne and all these angels and everyone's bowing down and everything else. And he's like, but because of Jesus... When you get to that spot and you're going to go before the Heavenly Father, you can walk in with confidence and boldness because of who you are. The angels, to be honest, must think it's insane that he gives us that access. We can walk right in and say, Dad, it's a totally different relationship. It brings our confidence. I would, I would assume that if we learn to really understand who you are, we would pray more often. <laughs> if you really believe that you have that access to that Heavenly Father, God Almighty, that you would probably go there a lot. Why would you hold back with all the worries and concerns that you have in your, in your life? Why would you not go there if that's the relationship that you truly have? And it's going to change the way that you pray. That's why Jesus says, don't, you don't need a babble. You don't need to convince. You don't need to have a lot of words. You don't even, I don't think you need to even have the right words. Jesus taught, when he was taught his disciples later, is don't worry, you even have the Holy Spirit who intercedes on your behalf. So even if you don't know what to say, still go. And the Holy Spirit will communicate for you. Because God is present. He's aware He knows your needs. And so your prayer life will change. And so this is our challenge. This is what I want us to be challenged this week. What does it look like? Do you see yourself on the outside hoping God will pay attention to you? Or do you recognize if you've trusted Jesus Christ with your life, You believe he went to the cross and covered your sins. That he made you in right standing with God. That means you have a new heavenly father. You've been adopted. Changes everything. And so what the world needs to see is a relationship with God that's different. And so when they say things like, well, that's just one religion and they're all the same and that's just many different ways and there's lots of ways to God and aren't they all kind of the same thing? You should be like, not, not at all. Hopefully they're not seeing that, but they probably are often in the church, to be honest. 
But we should have such a relationship with our Heavenly Father, we should say, oh no, let me show you how I can pray. Let me teach you how I get to pray. Why do you get to dress God like that? Well, because of Jesus. That's it. It's the only people to get to. That's our heart. For this church, that we become people with authentic relationships with other people and with our Heavenly Father. That the world would what? What we said in the first week. See that light? <laughs> and we would be salt in the world and they would take notice of people who do life different. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, oh, thank you. It, it's hard to understand it, I'll be honest. So by faith, we lean into you and we simply call in your name as Father, by faith. We trust what Jesus did on the cross for us, that we can come because you said we could, and so we do this. And every time we pray, we come before you again and we remind ourselves that this is not what we deserve, but this is our relationship that you've given to us. Thank you for adopting us in your family. Teach us what it looks like <laughs> to be your kid, to represent you well, to be about the things that you care about. So once again, we just give you all the praise and the glory for what you've done for us. We give thanks. Amen.